Welcome to part one of Health System CIO's interview with Adam Glassifer, Chief Innovation Officer and Associate Medical Director of Informatics with Virtua Health. In this segment, Dr. Glassifer talks about the very interesting way in which a game-changing COVID-19 innovation came to fruition, how the pandemic has enabled him to more effectively marry his dual roles, and why scaling up something like telemedicine is infinitely more difficult for larger organizations. As much as 80% of patient information is unstructured and stored outside of an EMR, Highland Healthcare helps complete the patient record by consolidating and connecting this unstructured content to core clinical systems. With a full suite of content services and enterprise imaging solutions, Highland gives clinicians a single view of all documents and medical images associated with the patient via the EMR, enabling more informed health decisions and improving patient outcomes. Highland Healthcare. See your whole patient. Visit highlandhealthcare.com to learn more. So the best place to start is to get an overview of Virtua. Um, I'm in New Jersey, but I'm on the coastline, so I'm familiar with you guys. But for people who aren't, if you could just give a kind of a brief overview. Sure. Virtua is a comprehensive suburban community health system with quite expansive offerings. Uh, we, we have five hospitals now. In addition, we have two freestanding ERs. We have multiple urgent cares, very, very large ambulatory practice with health centers and surgical centers. So we really span the gamut of providing full care for our community. Okay. And if you could just talk a little bit about the, the virtual center for innovation, what that aims to do and um, what are some of the initiatives there? We started the Center for Innovation, myself and our CIO, Tom Gordon, a little over three mm -hmm. years ago. And the intention there was a couple things. One, to really keep our pulse on innovative cutting and bleeding edge technologies and looking for ways that we could use them to improve the care delivery for our patients. I recognize that I'm in a fortunate position when, that when I have good ideas, people often listen. But we have 12,000 employees, and among those employees, yeah. not everyone has that same voice. And I'm certain that there are some great ideas out there. And we've already seen some of that in our time that we've had. Um, some great ideas from nursing, some great ideas from providers, and just trying to really keep our eyes and ears open for things that might improve what we do. Right. Is there anything that uh, stands out as initiative that came from, from the center? Probably our, our biggest crowdsourcing innovation is our Nursing Innovation Challenge. So we, we launched a Nursing Innovation Challenge approximately a year and a half ago, I guess, at this point. And the finals of that were in September. We had two finalists, both projects we are moving forward on. And we had, I believe, about 20 to 30 entries from nurses across the health system with varying ideas from ideas that could be commercialized to technology innovations, to process innovations, really, really impressive things that came our way from our nursing staff. Right, and you said that there was a variety there. When you hear about innovation, I think there's still an instinct among some to think that it does have to be a technology or a cutting edge tool, things like that. But are you seeing also innovation as in different ways to do certain things more efficiently? 
yeah, I mean, now more than ever, really, especially with adjusting for COVID. In general, I, I hate the word innovation. It, it's such a buzzword, but it's something that people understand. Yeah. But for me, ultimately, right. it's, it's relative to who you are and what you do. And, and ultimately, it's about thinking outside the box and listening. So uh, a lot of what I do in my role is I, I listen. And, you know, not everything is the greatest idea, but sometimes there are things where I listen and it may not seem like a good fit. And then ultimately we realize that it's something that, that actually is of significant benefit. Right. And an interesting example of that, I think, is those intubation boxes. For me, something like that is the true spirit of innovation, because ultimately I could sit here and take all sorts of credit, but honestly, all I did was listen. I listened and I heard a story that I thought might help with what we were trying to do. And I connected outsiders from outside of healthcare with our health system and ultimately helped Mm -hmm. them to do something that they thought was of benefit. So for me, innovation is a very relative term. Yeah, it it definitely is. But I want to talk more about the uh, the intubation boxes. So can you just talk a little bit about what they do and then how this came about? Yeah, so I'll start with how it came about because it's kind of mm-hmm. interesting and funny. So a friend of mine from nursery school through high school growing up, I'm friends with him on Facebook. I saw that he posted something about work his father was doing with their art studio since it was closed down. And I sent him a message. That's how it started. I said, hey, mm-hmm. Brad, you know, this really seems like a great idea. Can you connect me with your dad? And I spoke with David and told him my ideas for how we could help them deploy this and brought one over to Dr. Maza, Emilio Maza, who's the medical director of the Memorial ICU. He tried it Mm -hmm. out. He had some advice. He had some of the anesthesiologists look at it and we provided some feedback and that's how this all started. The benefit of something like this. So And it's interesting because the perceived benefit by the outsider is not always exactly the benefit that the insiders see, but that's what makes it so unique. So for something like this, while helpful with intubation, even more helpful with extubation. So when you are intubating a patient, certainly there is that risk of aerosolizing infectious particles throughout the room. So that is helpful. But when you extubate a patient, the risk of that is much higher and the spread of aerosolization is also much higher. So our clinicians, you know, when I brought it in, they were like, wow, this is really great. But you know what this is even going to be better for is is extubation. And David and his team, that hadn't really occurred to them because again, they're they're not clinical. But for them, it was very gratifying to know that this, you know, had additional benefit from what they even perceived. So as you can imagine, when you pull that tube out, right, there's a lot of stuff coming out with it. When you put it in, yes, but less so. That's really interesting how this came about. I I wouldn't have guessed that, but I I guess it really goes to show that you just don't know where an idea is going to come from. And so from there, what were the steps in uh, rolling this out on a larger scale? So, you know, one of the benefits I have is between my role as, as chief innovation officer and then My other role is Associate Medical Director of Informatics. Mm -hmm. I work with all areas of the health system and operations. So when something Mm -hmm. comes in, I usually know the people to connect with in order to find out, is this something that's worthwhile to roll out? 
Is there interest there? And then just really getting some tangible next steps. So my first move here was I reached out to Dr. Maza. So my clinical location is Memorial. I knew I was going over there on Tuesday anyway. So I, I called him up and I said, hey, Emilio, this is what I have. I sent some pictures. I said, would you be interested in trying this out? And he was. So I brought it over. He tried it out. And then from there, I reached out to, once we realized it was a, a viable solution, I reached out to the rest of our clinical uh, leadership team in critical care and pulmonary. And they all said, yeah, get us some for each of our ICUs. And, and that's what we did. Okay. Yeah, that, that's a really uh, good example of how two roles complement each other. Other than that, is it challenging balancing the two or is it more often than not something where there is enough synergy between the two? It depends on the project, to be quite honest. Right, right. Um, sure. Often it's a juggling act, but the roles definitely complement one another and certainly allow me to connect with people that I you know, have a regular working relationship with. Right. So when, when the organization was really starting to uh, put together a COVID response strategy, from your perspective, did you act first on the associate medical director role or how did that work uh, in terms of kind of prioritizing? Yeah, so specific to COVID, it, it's really become a melding of the two roles for me. So mm-hmm. one of my other previous projects that I had worked on is I had started our telemedicine programs from the ground up and um, over time had taken a bit of a backseat in that arena. And with COVID coming, I took on a more active role to help us rapidly scale what we had been working on over the previous uh, years. So it's really become a melding of the two roles with the COVID response. So keeping my eyes and ears open for things like intubation boxes, or artificial intelligence algorithms that might help our clinicians, or rapidly scaling telemedicine, or looking for other connected tools that might help deliver care. So it it really has become even more complementary than ever. Right, right. It also, I should say, at the same time, has forced us to put some of our projects on the back burner. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which I'm sure has to be frustrating. Looking at that telemedicine program, what were the, the steps that you took once uh, it was decided that that was something that was definitely not going to be on the back burner? Well, it, it really was an amazing effort by the digital health and IT teams partnering to really listen to our customers, our operational areas, and figure out what it is that they needed and rapidly scaling to provide that. Mm-hmm. And that is really where my role has become complementary. So a lot of my role is serving as uh, almost a liaison of sorts to the clinical and technical worlds. You know, I am employed by, by IT, but I work with our medical staff, our clinicians, our nurses, our interdisciplinary care teams. So this effort in scaling up telemedicine really has allowed me to help the digital health teams and, and IT teams in getting those things done and getting them in the hands of clinicians. Yeah, because ultimately yeah. that, that's what we're trying to do is we need to adapt the way that we deliver care for this new normal for, you know, however long it lasts. Right. So it wasn't, was it necessarily something that had to be started from scratch? I mean, you said that you had looked into it before, but where, where was it at that point? That, that's a great point and, and, a, and a great question. So we had been working on building and scaling our programs 
for, I believe, about six years prior to this. So we had put in a lot mm-hmm. of time and effort into building our programs. And to be honest, we had some small successes, but we had challenges with widespread adoption. So mm-hmm. we were very ready for this. Fortunately, all of the work that we had put in previously really set us up for this, you know, because now the appetite was there. So we were able to, it is part of why we were able to rapidly scale all of these services. And, you know, you're seeing this common theme of more progress in, in 10 weeks than the previous 10 years. You know, people keep using mm-hmm. those terms, but really we've made more yeah. progress in the last two months than we have in the previous six years. But that work leading up to this allowed us to have the success that we're having now. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Without that groundwork in place, uh, you can't just roll out something to this scale, certainly. No. And actually, that, that's where a lot of people, I think, have misconceptions and confusion about telemedicine is for a standalone provider, yeah, really easy to set up. But for mm-hmm. a large health system, 12,000 employees and over 200 different care locations, you cannot just flip a switch on. So you have to build that framework and that infrastructure. So I am sure this is a challenging time for organizations that did not have that work done ahead of time. Right, right. That really is a pretty good example of uh, the melding of those two worlds, something that a lot of physicians have wanted, um, but maybe there has been some hesitancy on as to how the patients would react. But in general, has the feedback been positive? Yeah, the, fee- the feedback's been overwhelmingly positive, And it's allowed our clinicians and our patients to get as close to their normal processes as they can right now. So I Mm -hmm. think that it's been very, very well accepted. And to be honest, I knew that patients would adapt. A lot of our holdups previously were in the clinicians. They're used to the way that they do Mm -hmm. their job. It's often scary to change and make a change that drastic. And this has forced them to do that. What we've seen is just amazing adaptation by the clinicians. So we have a medical staff, it's close to 3000 doctors. And when when you have that many doctors on a medical staff, right, your technology adoption is going to be a bell-shaped curve, right? So you're going to have your kind of laggards and your people that, you know, do fine and then your people that excel. And I have to say that full bell curve has really done an amazing job in adapting to these times, which is not something we typically see. Thank you for listening to this podcast from healthsystemcio.com. To hear other podcasts, visit our website or subscribe to our account in iTunes at healthsystemcio.com backslash podcast.